The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Thomas More, author of Care of the Soul, a number one New York Times bestseller, as well as 18 other award-winning books published in 25 languages, is coming back to our show today to tell us how we can develop a religion of our own. We're currently in an evolutionary phase with regard to what we will do with religion, and More posits the theory that part of the shift is caused by a loss of identification with the soul. His latest book, A Religion of One's Own, coming out in January 2014, is going to address this issue. And today, we're getting a special sneak peek. Moore has undoubtedly been one of the world's spiritual leaders in this age of spiritual transitions, and his insights have altered the lives of many people and even many medical, hospice, and hospital programs as he teaches us how to care for the collective and individual soul. So during today's show, we're going to find out how each one of us can create a religion of our own. Thomas Moore, the author of the classic bestseller, Care of the Soul, as we said, a number one New York Times bestseller, and 18 other award-winning books published in 25 languages. His other books include Care of the Soul in Medicine, Writing in the Sand, Jesus and the Soul of the Gospels, The Guru of Golf, and other stories about the game of life. Moore has been a monk, a musician, a university professor, and for over 30 years, a psychotherapist, practicing archetypal therapy with a spiritual dimension. For 15 years, he's taught psychiatrists and worked closely with medical schools, hospices, and hospitals to enhance the care of the soul in medicine. His awards include the Einstein Humanitarian Award from Yeshiva University. Moore speaks around the world and often at C.G. Jung societies. His articles appear in magazines such as Spirituality and Health Magazine and the Huffington Post. His latest book, as we've said, and the topic of our discussion today is going to be published in 2014. So, Thomas, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you for coming back again to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, Andrea. I'm real glad to have you. So, let's talk about this thing about soul. You've talked in the you've uh, talked in the book about how it is that we we can be without soul, in which we're sort of dead. We're not really there. We're not really present. We don't have the love and care and the heart and the power and the tenderness that comes with it, and we live kind of shallow lives where we're sort of empty. But a lot of people would say today that they're seeking happiness. Is that the same thing as seeking soul? And how do you see this? And what has it got to do with the soul? Well, I think it's, I think happiness is related to to soul. Certainly, uh, the only way to be really happy is to have this deep connection to life, to be connected with people, to be uh, doing what you really feel you are uh, destined to do in life. 
Uh, all of these deep pleasures are really pleasures of the soul, and I would call that real happiness. But if we're just looking for relief from suffering or sadness or distraction, of course, I wouldn't think that that kind of happiness would be uh, connected with the soul. The soul is, is quite deep, and it has to do with the very core of who we are. Uh, the past uh, w- week or so when I've been listening to uh, the news, you know, because there have been some tragedies there, as there always are, and people in a, in a, pre- a particular locality will say that they have, been, um, they have been affected right to their soul. And they, they usually say that with a great deal of feeling. And when they do say that, I think to myself, that's what I've been writing about all these years. It's hard to define but I think people know intuitively when they talk about the soul in these very special times that it's something so deep and essential that you, you can't get deeper than that. So if you're not attentive and caring for that soul, uh, you're going to feel like you're not really in life. And I think when you meet someone like that, you feel they're not fully present. So that's what I mean when I say that we need, some, we need soul in our lives. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about sort of the that what you said was a de- a depth connection to life itself. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Feeling right. feeling alive and present and uh, feeling that you are really a person. Right. Right. Really a person. That's a very interesting way of putting that. So okay. So if we talk about soul as being sort of the life force in us, our depth, our ability to connect, that kind of stuff, then how is religion different or the same as that? Well, religion is connected to the soul. It's, it's an activity that we engage in that addresses the soul. I mean, it's, you know, we talk, I, I mentioned how deep uh, our, our emotions go and our relationships and how much experiences affect us at the level of soul. And uh, religion is important for, in that respect because religion connects us to those things that matter most. So people go to temple or to church or they pray or they meditate. They do these things in order to uh, give their soul its life and vitality, to give it attention. Because if you don't do anything, then you just go along and, you know, you make sure you make enough money and you have food and a place to live or you may you may aim for the, the, the plushest kind of life you can find. But that doesn't give you that deep satisfaction of the soul. So uh, the religion is important, I think, for keep us connected. Some people say that religion is a form of uh, memory. It's a way of reminding us of the things that really matter to us. And so uh, I would say that religion is important for maintaining the life of the soul, and therefore it's important for our humanity and for our ability to really feel that we're people and that we can relate to other people. Okay, so what's happened? What you know? No, there's so many religions not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's, what's happened is that uh, the world has been changing uh, radically, and I don't think we realize how deep uh, the effect on us has been. So today, uh, so many people are uh, are convinced that uh, better technology and uh, more scientific knowledge. Uh, makes us better people or or gives us what we're looking for and can ask, answer all of our questions. 
So I hear that a lot, and when I write, some, sometimes when I write my articles about religion, people will write in and say, I don't need religion because science gives me everything I need, or I've got everything in my life that I need, There's no, I don't feel any, anything, any need beyond that. So I think this is a situation wherein we've been affected by, uh, um, by the changes in our culture, especially scientific knowledge and the increase in technology, the importance of technology in our lives. And um, as a result, many people, many, many people have stopped participating in their religion. Not everybody, of course, but a lot of people have. I even talk to people who are ministers or, uh, you know, clergy involved in religion, and they tell me that they have no desire anymore to participate in church the way they used to. So I think there's something that's happening to us, and uh, I think that what's, imp- what's important now is the response is to take a look at what it means to be a religious person uh, in this day and age, and we may have to change our ideas, and we may even have to move away from practices that we've engaged in for a long time and start focusing in on our own personal response to the religious questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so in, since you've spoken of science, uh, you talk in the book about the fact that science wants to explain all things, whereas religion knows some things can't be explained. And I'm wondering if that's at least in part what's happened to organized religion, that instead of holding and leaning into the mystery, it's sort of rigidly explained for us how it is and how we should respond to it. Wouldn't that yeah. take the soul out of religion, make yeah, it more like a that's science? that's a very big problem. I think religion misses the boat when it tries to explain things, and especially it especially misses the boat when it tries to tell people what they should think, and that everyone who is part of a religion should think the same way, because a religious life is one that is always developing. It's always dynamic in motion. People are are learning and discovering things. They're growing up. They're having experiences. They may, you know, have sicknesses or have people close to them who are sick. They may have people close to them who have died. And so the questions that religion raises become more and more important as they get older. And uh, so our, our questions change and, and uh, our, our whole attitude toward religion shifts. But the religions often try to keep everything the same and try to keep everybody the same. They're worried about orthodoxy, uh, making sure everyone believes almost to the letter the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm suggesting is that it's time that we uh, see religion as a way to guide people as they discover for themselves the great mysteries about life and learn language and, and ways of formulating uh, their responses to these mysterious things like death and illness uh, that are suited to them at that particular point in their life. So religion could guide a person rather than tell them what to think or what to believe. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let me go a little bit further with that. The, um, you know and I know that this, the definition of fundamentalism really has more to do with fear of change and modernism than it does with orthodoxy itself. So what, what um, I guess my question is, wouldn't a person or an organization have to uh, do something to transcend their fear in order to, of that in order to establish what you're talking about, which would be more of the uh, the mystical sort of mystery approach to a theological or, an, uh, or a religious uh, experience? 
Well, I guess you're right. You know, they they have to get over that fear if they are afraid of asking these questions openly. But uh, that's true of anything. I mean, if you're going to be alive today, you have to be. You have to have some courage to have an open mind and ask questions in an open-minded way. Uh, if if you're afraid to come up with an answer that won't match what you've always thought or what that what your family believes or what you know, your tradition has been, then I, I, I don't see how you become spiritually mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, maturity requires a certain courage, you know, a certain ability to ask the difficult questions, especially as you get older. So your questions might mature, and they may be more open-ended as you go along. And I don't think those, those pet answers that have always been given really satisfy people when they're uh, seriously ill, or when they're facing death, or when they're getting old. Uh, I think we want, people want answers. They want responses that are real, that make some sense to them. And I think that many, many people are tired of being given platitudes rather than uh, really intelligent and thoughtful responses to their mm-hmm. very sincere questions. Yeah, very sincere is the operative word. That words there, uh, because when we're really troubled and in crisis, that's when those existential questions come up about the meaning of life and what am I doing here and what's the point anyway and all of that. So yeah, absolutely, that would be the time when we need to have more than just a, a canned answer. That's right. Now a piece of this that I find really interesting is that. We have at our disposal, more so than ever before, we have the, the uh, teachings and the art of uh, the wisdom of spiritual traditions of the religions of the world. We have so much. I mean, many of these questions have been answered or at least explored in ways that are, could be very useful to us. Uh, and when we uh, close our mind to, the, uh, to traditions because they're not part of our own background, I think we're really shutting out a, a great deal of, of wisdom that could help us get along. And uh, I even uh, feel very strongly, based on my own experience in part, that you can uh, remain loyal to your own tradition and yet uh, derive a great deal from other traditions at the same time because uh, one tends to support and fill in for the other. There is this idea, which I think is really losing ground now. It, it, it has to that 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 there's one tr- religious tradition for everybody, and you must stay close to that. Otherwise, you're being unfaithful to it. I think one of the great changes today in culture is that people are aware that there's uh, there are other traditions that have a lot to say to us that could be very useful, and uh, it does take a certain open mind to be able to benefit from those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I, one of the things that I've enjoyed seeing sort of evolve is, is uh, as living in the South where there's a very strong and, and fairly rigid fundamentalist tradition about Christianity, uh, there's, uh, there's been a, a, to some degree a shift to where people are beginning to even use the word meditation, which was a big no-no. You weren't supposed to do that back in the 90s. And now uh, to even offer classes on that and how to use even yoga and things like that from the more Eastern traditions that will bring people to relaxation, at least that is an opening there. And I think that's really wonderful to, to see that happening. 
Well, you know, we're changing in so many ways. Uh, just uh, we're aware that people's attitudes towards many social issues are changing, where you wonder if they ever would have, you know, just mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years ago. And I think religion is one of them. So in a way, what I'm trying to do, really, in my work is respond to the many, many people I meet on my travels who are not in that fundamentalist place generally. Some are, but uh, there are many people who are just beginning to question, you know. They're sort of waking up and saying there has to be another way. Or they have felt moved by, by changes to leave their religious uh, traditions, their, their allegiances, their churches, and their uh, communities. And they feel, they feel without a spiritual home. Uh, they would like to have people around them who would understand what they're going through mm-hmm. and maybe even give them some guidance. But it's very hard for them to find that. So what I'm trying to do is to address particularly those people who are wandering and seeking and uh, want some, uh, some firm guidance and some resources. I think the resources are out there. And all we have to do is make them available and maybe show people how to approach them and to do it with some courage and not to worry about being too selfish or self-centered. I don't think this is, this is a self-centered idea at all, a religion of one's own. Uh, it's quite a challenge to be in the world in a much bigger way. It means getting away from maybe from a community or a family that has supported you in a narrow way of thinking. And now belonging to the entire world community and realizing that you have brothers and sisters and many other religious communities and uh, maybe now you can link up with them and your life and their lives will be will benefit from that new link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you've just spoken to just about 90 to 99% of my listening audience. I think that's really true of a lot of the people that are listening to shows like this one that they are spiritual seekers who feel rather alienated because they've taken the step of trying to find their own religion and in the process they've had to uh, not feel the same support that they felt in the past from previous groups or uh, perhaps even never had but long for now. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And that it sort of feels like coming home to your own tribe in a, in a kind of sense that you – Okay, okay, you get me and I get you and that's really cool. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a wonderful ministry there that you've got in this book because it offers people that kind of connection. So, we're going to have to take a break uh in just a few uh just a minute here and uh we were going to come back with Thomas Moore uh about his book A Religion of Your Own. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. 
Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light. Where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, an ordination, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. This is not just another spiritual diploma mill. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience and a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. For those interested in enrolling, there's a small down payment of $250, and then you pay only $150 a month, interest-free, toward manifesting your dream. And right now, AIHT is running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course just to test us out. Just email Beverly Love at AIHT.edu and put win a free course in the subject line. If your letter is drawn, you'll win a free course in which you can try out the education you receive at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. 
All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how to fulfill your deepest longings for a fulfilling career serving others using your own unique gift. And we're talking today on the Authentic Living Show to Thomas Moore, the author of Care of the Soul and 18 other books that have been published all around the world in 25 different languages. And today he's talking about his upcoming book, A Religion of One's Own, uh, in which he's teaching people how to establish a religion of their own. And in that vein, I wanted to ask Thomas, we've talk, you talk in the book about how you prefer the word religion over spirituality. And I know a lot of my listeners uh, prefer the word spirituality over religion. So I'm wondering how we can sort of bridge that gap a little bit. Well, there, there are many aspects to, to that question. One is that when I was a young man, I lived in a Catholic monastery, and uh, that I was really into religion and practicing religion. But a big part of my life was what we called uh, the spiritual life, which was our emphasis on meditation and prayer especially. So we had both spirituality and religion together, and that's just the way I, I've understood it all my life. And then when I began studying the religions of the world, I realized how precious they are, and I have just this great deep love of the religious traditions of the world. So I have nothing but a positive uh, a way of understanding the word religion. To me, it's, it's a very good word. It, to me, it, uh, it's a little more defined and more uh, concrete than spirituality. Uh, and another reason why I like to use it is that when I talk about a religion of one's own, I'm really talking about finding a way to continue and mature uh, your experience of religion of the past. So I'm not talking about shifting from religion to spirituality. I'm talking about uh, not not moving away from the religion as you've known it, but to make it deeper and more intelligent, maybe more appropriate for someone who's older and can understand things in a broader way now. So I like to keep the word religion. I like it for all those different reasons. And uh, spirituality tends to be a little bit too vague for, for what I want to talk about. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. So it's yeah, spirituality might be might feel pretty vague there when you when it comes to putting something it's putting feet to something, yeah. So um you know, you've talked about the word maturity a couple of times here and I, I wanna mm-hmm. address that because I, I think that you know, one of the things I think we've done with regard to religion is either accept it in total or abandon it. And I think that one of the um, the ideas that you've put forth is very intriguing to me because I, I think what we're wanting is for our religions to grow up when, when in fact what we need to do is we need to grow up and, uh, yeah. do the research, uh, that it takes to, to respond to religion and take the magical thinking out of it and that kind of stuff that would be more of a adult to adult conversation with spirituality. Yes, you know that's why I wrote this book a few years ago called uh, Writing in the Sand, uh, Jesus and the Soul of the Gospels, because I wanted to try to present the Gospels in a way that I I think is more intelligent than what, what I'm used to getting, you know, from the churches. 
So I do think that people in the churches, whatever church it is, whatever religion it is, could uh, uh, could give the, their people a, a deeper, more intelligent, more mature sense of what the religion is all about. An awful lot of people have a rather childlike view of what religion is, or their understanding of religion goes back to when they were about six or seven years old. And uh, they really haven't had a chance to do any study or to learn things when they're older and, and that would match their years. So uh, part of developing a religion of one's own might be simply to take the tradition that you are part of, if you really want to stay with it, but to go deeper into it and learn more about it and become more sophisticated about it and really to be an adult in that world rather than to be a child. That's a very different thing. And I think part of the maturity, really, it's just about becoming more individual because no matter what field you're in, no matter what you're talking about, as an adult, you have to make your own decisions and you have to be critical in ways that children are not. And that applies to religion as well. So when I say a religion of one's own, I can imagine someone being in their, their particular religion and making it their own by understanding it more and realizing that each person is going to understand it somewhat differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm imagining there's probably just as many uh, ways of looking at the divine as there are of looking at, at in the mirror. <laughs> you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yep, yep. One of the things I really like about what you said is that you can include the experience of art as well as the experience of psychology or psychological growth into a religion or maybe even the spiritual aspect of religion. So can you say some more about that? Well, those are two huge topics. One is one has to do with my work, which is uh, uh, I'm a psychotherapist and I I. I address spiritual issues in my therapy. I don't see how you can do otherwise. You can deal with the person. You have to deal with their spirit and their psyche. So that's what I do. And these are really closely related. So if you're going to develop a mature uh, religion of your own, uh, I think what you have to do is is be psychologically uh, sophisticated and mature as well. So uh, some of your... Fear, let's say, fear about exploring another spiritual tradition might be a psychological issue, you know, some anxiety. It may be related to family. When you've been told all this time by family members that you shouldn't ask these kinds of questions. Well, that, that really is an issue, a psychological issue of your relationship to your family and maybe having some difficulty growing up to be able to explore things for yourself. So the psychological and the spiritual are often very closely related. The other thing is that uh, I think that in a secular society like ours, there isn't much of a place for art. We think of art more as decoration or as uh, uh, some kind of uh, entertainment. Uh, you see newspapers, they talk about the arts and leisure or the arts and entertainment sections. Uh, whereas I would say that if you look at the history of art, Art has long been closely related to religion. So art can be used to uh, help you explore very, very complex and subtle uh, religious issues. And uh, therefore, I would say that if you really want to develop a religion uh, of your own, that um, that the, the arts could be a very important 
tool as you do that. So as you become more sophisticated, let's say about listening to music or to uh, going to the theater or to reading fiction or poetry, that you might find that these sources will help you in your spiritual development more so even at times than theological teachings and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the arts and religion, I think they've always been closely together. I think as we move further into this new culture that we're moving into, that the art and religion is going to, again, be uh, so combined and so close that one will require the other. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I think that might be very valid. Yeah, I remember a time in my own life, I don't mind sharing this with the listening audience, when I was in therapy and uh, I kept giving these pat answers about what the Bible said back to my therapist whenever he he uh, confronted me or asked me something. And finally, I think I probably exasperated him a little bit and he said, you know, you've got so many pat answers. I want you to go home and I want you to read the Bible and I want you to stop thinking of it in terms of what it is that you have been taught and I want you to ask yourself what you think it means. And that one experience with that one man did so much to help me begin to internalize and go deep, as you put it, into my own religion. And i am got a completely different spiritual approach to life now than I had then, although the traces and the roots uh, go back to that. So uh, can, you, you talk about going deep. How? What are some of the ways that people can go deep into their tradition? Uh, well, you can, you can study. This is something that I always talk about. You know, as a monk, when I was a monk, part of our spiritual practice was study. Uh, to study things was just the same as praying or meditating. It was in the same vein. Maybe, you know, I think people understand that, that monks study. They have places to go where they study. They have books. In the history of books, monks were so important in preserving books and writing them out. Because part of the monastic life is to study. I mean, it's, it's essential to spiritual practice. I think we've lost that today. We think that, that, um, that religion is more about emotion and, uh, and not so much about understanding. And so we don't emphasize study. I, I say we. I, it's not true of everybody. I understand there are places where people are doing wonderful and intense study. But... Um, I think it's something that we need to think about, rethink, that a good way to deepen our own religious tradition is to do some study to, and some contemporary study and maybe find some contemporary teachers who are worth listening to, not just people who will make you feel good, but people who really have something to say, who know what they're talking about, and you should be able to know the difference. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we, we've developed into having a habit of giving too much credence to people who don't deserve it. You know, we're not very critical. We, we don't think carefully enough about who we allow to be our teacher. And I think that's the first step. So you find a good teacher, and then you do some study with some guidance. It doesn't have to threaten your religion at all. It might threaten your childish view. It might say to you, you have to grow up. You've got to realize that some of these issues are more complex than you were taught when you were six years old. But you're an adult now, and I think you'll find that your religious life will be more satisfying if you take it on adult terms. 
So I think that's a good way to do it. Another way uh, would be to, this is an interesting way, I know a lot of people have trouble with it, is to make a comparison. To, In other words, as you, let's say if a person is Christian, to read the Gospels, and at the same time read some text from the Buddhists, or read the, the Tao Te Ching from China, or read some other spiritual text. And what, it's not that they're saying the same things, that's not the point. The point is that one text might help you understand the text that you've been studying or you've been looking at all these years and see it from a fresh angle. And that helps deepen your understanding of what's going on. In fact, I think if you go to some of these other religious traditions, like the ones I mentioned, you would probably get a more mystical, more spiritual, more meditative approach than you're used to. And that could only help, because if you could um, see the, 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 the more mystical side of your own tradition, that would be adding a very important dimension. Uh, a lot of times people leave, uh, they, um, they, they reduce religious teaching to ethics, to moral, what you should do and what you shouldn't do, or to belief, what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe, rather than to an experience of the divine or an experience of spiritual wonder and deep questioning that prepares you then for real prayer. So there are a lot of things we could do to deepen our own experience of religion, no matter where we're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like there's lots of different methods in that psychological approach that you talked about a little while ago, as well as the art, and then also what you've just talked about in terms of study and comparisons. There's, there's and those plenty of work things. to do. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, we, when you said, you talk about the work, and we just have a few more minutes before break, so we may have to start this and then stop it, but I do want to get mm-hmm. to it. Um, you said when you decide to create your own religion, you'll want to study the traditions with fervor you've never known before. And, I, and my my question is one that I think that the listening audience might ask, and that would be how do you find the fervor for something for which you've abandoned or no longer feel a passion? Well, if, uh, I think what I'm talking about there is that uh, if if you open your mind up and and uh, let's say you're in a time in life like of sickness or divorce or something like that, and asking really the really tough questions, uh, that's a time you want really solid spiritual sources, okay. and that's why I think you'll, that the other traditions will help you because your questions will be so immediate and so intense. Right. Okay. So when the time seems, it's not like you're saying, well, just go back to your old religion and, and try to get that fervor back. What you're really saying is when the time comes when you're asking those deep life critical questions like, what am I here for? That's mm-hmm. when you're going to be interested enough to, to go looking for it and you're going to, and, and one direction to, in which you might suggest we find it is through study with that kind of fervor. That's right. Yeah. And, and okay. I, you know, I have to confess that I don't understand myself too well why people find it so difficult. Some people find it very difficult to, to, to stretch beyond the tradition they grew up in, to consider another spiritual tradition. They feel that they're betraying their, their background somehow. Mm-hmm. And if, I don't know what it would take to get past that. That's an important step to be able to realize that You don't have to give up your beliefs and your allegiances and your family uh, spirituality when you look at another spiritual text. 
another religious text. What you're doing is is adding to what you already know, enriching it. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break on that note, and we'll come back and talk about that whole thing of loyalty to that in uh, just a few minutes. So stay tuned for more from Thomas Moore. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you in tune with yourself? Listen every week for Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, featuring host Sherry Lynn. When we understand that we are not alone in this world and have infinite love available to us at all times, we can be ecstatic and call upon the assistance we need to reconcile and release our past, fear, and addictions. Listen to Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Joy, bliss, and ecstaticism is our God gift to experience. Be joy, be peace, be love. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Be Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for our final segment with uh, Thomas Moore, the author of Care of the Soul and 18 other wonderful life-changing world-rocking books about the soul and uh, bringing soul into just about every encounter with life. So, uh, And today we're talking about his upcoming book, A Religion of One's Own. And uh, what we were saying just before the break is something I'd like to get back to, Thomas, if we can, about the whole idea of what does it take to sort of shift someone from uh, that rock solid concrete place where we kind of say I can't move beyond my own tradition and uh, what we said during the break was that sometimes that's that religious 
history is enfolded in a family that's very enmeshed as well, where if you betray the religion, the operative word being betray, uh, then you're also betraying the family system and all kinds of values that go with that, and then you feel like you're abandoning people and you feel guilty and all that. So do you want to launch from there? Well, it's a very difficult topic, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's true that uh, people do feel exactly that. They feel that religion is so bound up with the family. And I, I have felt that in my early years, too, uh, that, that religion was so important to the family that if if I were to move away or just change my practice or, or you know, stop doing what I used to do or use different language, that that the whole relation to the family is at stake. I, I've heard that from people. I've heard that from uh, pastors, actually. I, I I remember being at conferences where some pastors stood up and clergy stood up and said that they could talk freely while they were there at this meeting of other other clergy, but if they went home, they couldn't say any of the things they really felt because they knew that their family would feel betrayed and their family might ostracize them or just wonder about them, you know, and, and, and cut off. So th- this psychological issue of family is bound up tightly for a lot of people with religion. And that's why I think it has a lot to do with maturing, because as you grow older, one would hope that you would become more of an individual and be able to love and be connected and close to your family, but not have the fear that you can't think for yourself. I mean, that's, that's a real emotional and psychological issue. Uh, another way of putting it all together is that some people, when they reach a certain point, especially as they're growing up, they have what they would call an awakening, awakening time. They begin to wake up. Uh, they sort of come out of a fog, and they, they begin to ask questions. And they can no longer live the way they always have, and they can't accept the answers they've always been given. That's the way people describe it. And uh, if you haven't had that awakening, if you haven't wakened up to being a person with your own ideas and your own thoughts, then you'll probably go along with the, with the old way of being religious without any trouble. But once you wake up, you've got to do something. And that's when the tensions arise. And that's where it takes some courage. But I think that's, that courage is what will get you through that, that development stage where you become more of a person, your own person. So having a religion of one's own is connected to being a person of one's own. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, that's true. I always say we don't really mature until we outgrow our upbringing. So, yeah, you're, you're right on there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the how-to. We've talked just briefly about that, but let's you 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 talk about um, the you know getting deeper into it, and you talk about the, the this practice of sort of a monastic kind of uh, of thinking at least. And so I wanted to talk some more about that, the idea of mysticism, how that can play into this deeper, more um, alive religion. Well, you know, I have an idea that that uh, some people who are specialists in mysticism don't like, but I feel that an ordinary person on an ordinary day doing ordinary things can be a mystic. That means that you might just be walking along a river or by the sea or in the woods or on a mountain, and you just feel suddenly connected to the, to the world you're in. 
you kind of you kind of momentarily forget yourself and you just feel different. That to me is the beginning of a mystical life, and that would be an, could be an important part of this religion of one's own. It it doesn't have to be connected to any particular language or a church building or anything like that. You can be a natural mystic. You can be naturally religious. And a good way to do that is by going into nature and to allow yourself to be lost in nature for a while, to to feel that you are part of the whole thing. Uh, we have many, many examples of people who have described this kind of thing. In fact, when I started writing this book of mine, I read a great deal of Henry David Thoreau, who talked a lot about uh, uh, having these mystical experiences in nature. And in fact, what he did, of course, is he went and built a cabin by a lake in order to see what it was like to be able to, to sit reflectively in his cabin by the water and, and, and become a deeper person as a result. He said to Walden, when he wrote about his experience, he said, I did this because I didn't want to come to the end of my life and think that I hadn't really lived. And so uh, that's what he did, and I think that's an example of being a natural mystic. And that's a way of being religious that is not connected to any particular uh, tradition. It, you know, it, people within the traditions do things like that, but you don't have to be part of a church in order to be a mystic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that what you've said there that I think is so profound is, that he went into the woods to see what it was like. And that's one of those um, things that the basically uh, traditional thing would say, well, now, don't go see what it's like. Know what it's like. We already know what it's like. We've got the answers for you already. So here they are. Just do what we tell you to do. And the experiment, which is an experience um, with life, brings us closer to that mystery that, that is fundamental to mysticism. Would you agree with that? Yes, well, exactly. And if you're really into the mystical life, and you get to a point where you just can't use language anymore. All the mystics say that, that the words are inadequate. Mm -hmm. Because you have these sort of wordless experiences. You have, they're speechless. You know, you can't really describe them to anybody. Uh, another example I use in my book is uh, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell when he was coming back from the moon. Uh, he said he, he, he had this overwhelming feeling of being connected to the whole of things, to everything. And his life was changed by that experience. And so uh, I want to say that about our natural mystical experiences, that, that they always deepen us. It's like each time you have this experience, you might be taken deeper into it. And your whole approach to life changes. Uh, for a lot of people who, be, who have these mystical experiences, their idea of what is right and wrong changes so that they feel now that they have to do even more for, for the human condition, for the human community. They have to go out and do more for them. Edgar Mitchell felt that way, so he came home and established an educational institute where he could teach people to have mystical experiences uh, within a scientific worldview. And uh, so I think it's I think it's really important to be able to to include this natural mysticism. Now you can do it either on its own the way Thoreau did it, or you could do it as part of your uh, re religious 
participation in a particular tradition. You may go to church on Sunday or some other day, and you still go into the woods as part of your practice, as part of your spiritual life. You can do it either way. In either way, it's a religion of your own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the the whole idea then, you've talked about, um, when you were talking about Mitchell and uh, Thoreau, one of the things that you say in your book, and this is a quote, is the point is not to find something, but to break through. So yes. can you say some more about that breaking through? What does that yes. mean? Yes, that, that's right. So a lot of times people in religion, they, they want to find something. They want to know the nature of God. They want to know what the afterlife is all about. They want to know exactly how to live. Uh, but if you read the mystics especially, they always say that the, the experience of losing oneself, of breaking through the limits of your knowledge and the world in which you're living, to, to break the boundaries, to, uh, to, to transcend uh, where you have been, that is really what's most important. So in a way, I think the mystic would say that breaking through is the real religious experience. And whatever you say about it is, you know, is valuable, but it's not really the essence of it all. It's being able to be in a contemplative place where uh, you suddenly are aware of your place in the world and the purpose of your life uh, in a way that you can't maybe express it clearly, but now you know it, and you know what to do from then on. You know that your life is going to have to change and that you're going to act in certain ways in order to be true to what you learned in that mystical experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that breaking through doesn't necessarily get you to a place of uh, information you could pass on to somebody else in literal no. terms, but rather just to ha- a kind of knowing. Yeah, mystics are quite frustrated because they can't express very clearly what it is they, they've been through. You know, they, they try. That's why many of them use poetry, you know, mm-hmm. to do it. John of the Cross had this experience, great Christian mystic, he had the experience, and he wrote poetry to try to express what he experienced. But, you know, even if you read his poetry, you say, what? You know, like, what's all that about? It's not easy to follow, because these experiences are beyond words. Yeah, yeah. And And they help, you know, if you have that knowing, it seems to me, and this is, again, trying to put words around it, but... But it seems to me that if you have that knowing, you're more able to lean into the mystery without that big fear coming up and saying, yeah, but I need to know. You know, it's paradoxical. Yeah, but that's right. That's right. And then you realize, you discover that you don't have to have, you don't have to be right even. Yeah. You know, so many people who are religious feel they have to be right and they demand that everyone else be right and that some people must be wrong. But this more mystical approach to religion, it's more of, having the depth and transcending, as I say, of breaking through, that's really the important thing. And it's not what you have got then and what language you can use or that everyone should join you and do exactly what you've done, but that maybe now you could help others find their way to breaking through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of be a door opener, not really not really directing um exactly how they're going to do it, but open the door so that they can take the next step into how they're going to do it. That's right. It takes a lot of trust for the of the individual uh, way of life and, and one's individual 
pilgrimage in life, you know, that you have to trust it and honor it, that each person has this, and that you you really can't tell another person what their purpose in life is or what they should be doing or what they should be believing. It's it's their task to really discover. You can help by guiding them, but you really shouldn't tell them and certainly shouldn't give them your solution because maybe your solution is the worst thing for them. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I really love that you've said that. Thank you here at the end of the show that you've said that because I think so much of that idea of I'm going to help you really means I'm going to control you. I'm going to, you know, uh, give you my thoughts and put my brain in your head, and then you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's not at all what what we're talking about here today. You're, I, I guess, you know, what you're really saying is very similar. We just have just a few more, just maybe thirty seconds before we have to go. But what you're really saying is very similar to that Buddhist saying that is that the seeker is that which is being sought. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, I hate to end this conversation. It's been really lovely, Thomas. Thank you for talking with us today. Thank you and, for having me, Andrea. Always enjoy it. Oh, really? It's been lovely. So next week we're going to be talking more about this whole topic of the soul. We're going to uh, the uh, topic is going to be the mystic soul. So we'll be stay tuned for that. We'll extend this conversation, I guess, a little bit there. And um, and uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth. To yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the Seventh Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. 